0: podcast of jetnation.com the largest independent fan site in the nfl be sure to check out our forums and talk all things jets with thousands of other diehard jets fans now to get you up to date on all the latest jets news notes and quotes here's your host glenn naughton
1: Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am joined by my co-host, Alex Varallo. Alex, how are we doing tonight?
2: Hey, how's it going, Glenn? Good evening, Jet Nation.
1: It's going well. Um, As we said during last night's show, tonight's going to be a uh, special episode. We're going to be joined in a little while by Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. And we wanted to have Manish on tonight because, let's face it, uh, for anyone who's been paying attention, over the past few days there have been some some wild rumors online uh through multiple sources and we we touched on it last night but uh in a nutshell there was a a rumor that was floated that mike mccagnon and adam GaSe were were locked in a a bit of a power struggle that changes were imminent after the draft and mike mccagnon could be let go there were a couple of people who chimed in and said that they were hearing the same thing from league sources personally i thought the uh And Alex and I both discussed this the other day, Uh, such a move would make zero sense, letting go of a general manager after you let him spend $100 million and build a draft with a third overall pick. So it did not make a whole lot of sense, uh, but the one person who did chime in and completely debunk it or refute the report and say that it was 100%, if not 200% false, was Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. He's been covering the Jets for many years with the Daily News now. Manish, how are you doing tonight?
3: Hey,
1: how are you, man? Doing really well. Hey, man, Doing how's really it going well. With- so, Alex and I discussed this uh a little bit last night and that's one of the reasons we wanted the the main reason we wanted to have you on. Um so so lay this out for us here, Manish, with what you're hearing because again, the the rumors of a an imminent shakeup of the front office at the very least with a possibility of letting the general manager go uh literally days after he had Wrapped up a draft with a hype with a premium pick and spent a boatload of money, uh, and and I will say uh, that I mentioned this the other day and I, and I think you did address this today, Manish in your piece in the Daily News, the, the it was an odd look from the outside uh, that Adam Gase didn't make any appearances at all during the draft, uh, that that was what jumped out to me. Uh, and I know a lot of fans commented on that. Why wasn't he with Mac? Why wasn't he in any of the pictures on the website? Why wasn't he in any of the videos? Why were we seeing Greg Williams make the phone calls? So you take it away, Manish. Let us know what you're hearing.
3: Yeah, you know what? That is a, a great point. And I have no earthly idea why the Jets thought it was a good idea not to have their head coach uh, prominently displayed on television, on their website, uh, you know, my understanding is that Gates did not uh, talk to reporters at the end of each day during the draft when he was in Miami, or maybe, maybe he did when he first got hired and then ultimately decided he didn't want to do it. But that was his preference. Uh, you know, I, I understand respecting the head coach's preference, but in this particular situation when you have – Uh, rumors of discontent uh, and a possible fissure between your head coach and your general manager, I think it's incumbent upon the organization to, frankly, use some common sense and have the the head coach come down uh, with your general manager and present a united front, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, So I thought that was a tactical blunder by the organization. Uh, As far as why he wasn't on television, my understanding is that he was actually seated outside of the camera view and uh, for most, uh, well maybe not most, but for a lot of the draft he was kind of roaming about the war room, uh, not in a particular seat uh, so I, look, I didn't really pay that atten- that close of attention to the war room and I don't even know if it was on ESPN or NFL Network You know, we were at the team facility and I was you know, preoccupied with other things, so I don't know how often they actually showed the Jets' war room. But for those wondering why he wasn't uh, pictured in the war room, you know, that that was the explanation that I got uh, from some people is that you know, he was kind of roaming about in that room, and his chair actually was out of you know, out of the camera's view for you know for whatever that's worth. That, of course, does not excuse the organization for not having the head coach speak at any point uh, Thursday night, Friday night. And at the very least, it made <laughs> it, it made sense to have him speak at the end of the draft with Mike Mcagnan to not only discuss the players that were taken over the previous three days, but to also uh, debunk uh, any kind of uh, you know rumor that he was having an issue with Mike Mcagnan. So, uh, you know, I thought that was a tactical error, even if Adam Gase preferred that. I think Adam Gase has some bosses and people who who are above him, and I think that. Uh, you know it was a you know it it was an error to not have the head coach uh anywhere in sight over the course of those 3 days even though he doesn't control the 53 man roster that's obviously uh Mike McGagnan production but uh clearly he was involved in the decision making process uh there was another thing that you had mentioned uh before we get to the rift uh oh the phone calls he Adam Gates did speak to every draft pick uh now why the team did not decide to post that on the team website. Uh, yeah, I can't answer that question, and maybe maybe they've updated their website. I have no idea, but uh, I know that fans had asked me why you know, why he didn't call these six players that were drafted. Well, he you know he did he did talk to them, uh, and again, I can't speak to why the organization decided not to post that on the website because it's pretty strange, if you ask me. Just going back the last decade you'd always see Rex Ryan on the phone talking and the team was proudly displaying that on their website. Same goes with Todd Bowles. So uh, again, I thought there were some curious organizational decisions uh, over those past three days, uh, you know, in terms of uh, really keeping their head coach out of, uh, you know, out of uh, sight. I, I don't quite understand that, but what I can tell you, and this is probably the most important part of this question is uh is there a rift between Gase and McCagnon? Well, I can tell you with great, acer- great certainty that uh, these guys did not agree on every player that they pursued in free agency and or the draft. Uh, that's not uncommon. In fact, I think it would be kind of odd if they did agree on and everyone. Uh, that, to me, means that somebody is lying because not, you know, no two people think exactly alike. So you know, I've always been of the belief that if you have a healthy you know, spirited discussion about players during free agency and the draft, and you have disagreement, that's good. You know, that's actually preferable to having a bunch of yes-men, because if you're having a bunch of yes-men in your building, the odds are you have a dysfunctional outfit, because, you know, that the real world doesn't work like that. You have people who have differing opinions. So do those guys differ on uh, opinions on some players? Absolutely. Does that mean that there's some kind of rift? Uh, absolutely not, because there is no rift. Uh, you know, there had been some disagreement, they had just, remember, they just started their relationship uh, in January. So it's been four months uh, into what both of these guys hope is going to be a a successful marriage. So this notion that Mike McCagnan was going to get fired after the draft is ludicrous. And Glenn, you you touched on it, just logically. Any clear-thinking person would realize that if that were to happen, the Jets would be viewed, rightfully so, as the most, dysfunctional organization currently in American team sports because you don't do that when you give your for, uh, your your general manager a carte blanche or not carte blanche but clearly the most important say in free agency and you, you have him dole out what 100 120 million dollars of the owner's money and then you have him steer the draft and then you fire him it look that didn't make any sense it, it it's happened in the past it wouldn't have been unprecedented you can look at uh, examples, uh, even in the division, Doug Whaley was fired a couple years ago after the draft, but there were a lot of odd dynamics you know, in that organization that led to that moment. So, uh, you know, I, I don't believe that uh, Christopher Johnson uh, ever thought about you know, making a change. It would surprise me if the organization uh, seriously thought about getting a new general manager when the general manager and the CEO handpicked the head coach. So, I don't believe that's true. In fact, I know that's not true. What I will say, and this is important, what I will say, without getting into any specifics, is that I think everyone's kind of have to be an adult moving forward. All the key players, and you guys can figure out who all, who all the key players are, but I do think that people need to, uh, you know, not, you know, not engage in any of this like behind the scenes whisper down the lane stuff when it comes to job security over you know some of the more important participants and players uh in in this organization. So, you know, I'll leave it at that, but what I will say is that Mike McGagnis is not getting fired. He will be the general manager in 2019. We'll ultimately see how this team does this season and uh that will obviously have a you know have a say in what happens moving forward, but there's no imminent change uh, happening at the general manager spot.
2: So, so Manesh, uh, while we're on the subject of Mike Mcagnan, uh, earlier in, in the season, uh, Christopher Johnson had once again said that there was not going to be a playoff mandate for this team. So, in in your opinion, and, and you know, as you're from your perspective, what exactly? does Mike McKagan and this team have to do this year in order for him to retain his position? Is there a certain amount of games that you feel that they need to win, or is there a playoff? Uh, you know, should, should we be you know, at least on the fence for you know a wild card situation? So what's your insight on that?
3: Well, Mike McKagan is signed through 2020, so he, he's not going to uh, need a contract extension technically, even though in retrospect it probably would have been the smart choice uh, uh, to give him a contract extension to to eliminate questions and discussions like the one that we're having right now. Because right now, right, you, you've positioned it like, what does the team need to do for the general manager to get his, uh, you know, to to come back? And that's an odd question because that's typically a question asked of coaches. So what does the team need to do during the season to, you know, bring the coach back or to fire the coach? Because at this point uh, there's still work to be done in terms of uh, who, you know, signing guys during training camp, uh, looking at final cuts before the regular season begins. But for all intents and purposes, uh, the handoff is made typically in NFL organizations from GM to head coach after the draft. And, again, there's going to be obviously more tinkering with the roster, but for the, the heavy lifting, the free agency portion and the draft is over, and that's really when the general manager, you know, does his damage for lack <laughs> lack of a better phrase, and then once the regular season begins, it's you know it's out of his hands, and and the coach coaches the players to, that he's got. Uh, but uh, you know I, I I don't know you know what the definitive answer to your question is. Uh, I think it would be a disappointment for not only Mike McCagnon but for Adam Gase, even though he is only a first year coach for the Jets. I think it would be a massive disappointment if this organization, if this team, I should say, is not. In the playoff conversation in 2019, uh, that means playing relevant games in December. Uh, you know, does that mean, you know, nine wins, t- ten wins? I, I don't know. Uh, I think this team is good enough on paper. Uh, you know, if you. If you project what the quarterbacks going to do this year, if you project what some of the younger players who showed some promise last year are going to do this year, I think it's it's fair to expect them to to be a you know a nine win team somewhere in that eight to ten win range you know, i I think if they're you know looking at another four or five win season like they have over the past three years, that would be a massive disappointment for everybody uh what you have to be careful about, however, and I know Jets fans are fully aware of this, is that if you do indeed move on from Mike McKagan after this season, you're asking your new general manager to inherit a head coach, and it wasn't that long ago when Jets fans saw uh, you know, how that dynamic could work or fail, and it obviously failed, and I'm obviously talking about Rex Ryan and John Idzik, typically... Smart organizations, and look, there's exceptions to the rule, and Seattle is one of them that comes to mind, but by and large, successful, smart organizations hire the general manager, and that general manager has a say in who the head coach will be, a significant say, and uh, if you do it the other way around, you're asking for trouble, so the Jets are in, in an interesting quandary, I think, Frankly, the, the smart thing to do would be to give McCagnin a one-year extension through 2021 right now, so that in essence would tie uh, McCagnin and Gase together for three years. There's a three-year overlap there. Uh, you can obviously, you know, extend both of those guys, or, or you know, or adjust accordingly depending on how good or bad the team is you know, during this window. But if you have a three-year overlap, at least at that point, you would alleviate, uh, in theory, the possibility of Firing your, head co- uh, firing your general manager and keeping your head coach. I just don't think that's a good way of doing business. Frankly, I'd be very surprised if the Johnson brothers did that, just knowing what they experienced not that long ago trying to go that route. I, I don't think that makes much sense at all, to be honest.
1: And now, m- moving on to the draft, Manish, uh, before we get to y- your thoughts on the uh, on the specific players they chose, I-, I wanted to get your thoughts on the approach. And, you know, for, for years, for so long, Jets fans have been saying, you know, ever since, especially since Vernon Golston, you know, people always say, don't ever draft a workout warrior. Draft a guy who, who shows up on game day and produces. Um, and they did that by taking Ja'Kai Polite at 68. And lo and behold, fans are upset that they took a guy who had a bad combine, despite the fact that he had a fantastic season. But you have Polite, you have the, the issues with him, which may be overblown, maybe they're not. But then taking Blake Cashman and, and Blason Austin, these are a couple of guys who have dealt with injuries. So it's almost like the Jets are, you know, it's not, it's not like they are. They're, they're sort of increasing the risk uh, in, in a, in a venture that that's always a, a crap shoot anyway. Um, but I look at a guy like Basan Austin and feel like if that's a pick Bill Belichick makes, everyone says he's a genius because he can stash a highly talented corner that he got at a good value pick. But since, since the jets aren't the Patriots and they're nowhere near, you know, that, that echelon and they're, they're still rebuilding. The feeling is they got a little bit reckless and they went with some guys who have additional question marks, whereas they could have gone with, uh, with somebody with with, basically without those red flags?
3: Yeah, well, look, what I think is interesting for every team, not just the Jets, is what their plan was entering the draft and then what their draft actually looked like after it it was over. Because, yeah, you look at six players on paper that the Jets got, but if you dig a little bit deeper and find out what they wanted to do and how close they may have come to getting some of those you know, moves done, it becomes much more fascinating. So, it, for me, after every draft, even during the draft, I should say, but specifically after the draft, you know, I try to reach out to as many people as I can uh, throughout the league to get a sense of, you know, what what trade might have come down, what what, you know, what deal was you know Team A working on with Team B, and it starts obviously with that number three pick, and we know that the Jets were trying to trade down because the general manager, frankly for about a month or so, had said that he wanted to trade down. And I can tell you that the the Jets were on the phone with Oakland and Buffalo when the Jets were on the clock, hoping to either swap picks with the the team that was picking right behind him, Oakland, or to move all the way down to nine. Uh, My understanding is that none of those deals were really close at all. So even though there were conversations that took place while the Jets were actually on the clock, they couldn't move the pick. Uh, It was fascinating to me because – you know, In the run-up to the draft, you heard a, a decent amount of chatter that the Raiders were contemplating a quarterback. They were never contemplating a quarterback, so you have to ask yourself the next question, which is, well, how does that start? Why does that happen? And what's fascinating to me is that a rumor like that would not only benefit the Raiders, because they didn't want a quarterback, but it would benefit the Jets because if there was a team that needed a quarterback, for example, the Giants at number six or the Redskins at number fifteen, but but specifically the Giants because they're you know kind of in the same neighborhood as the Jets and the Raiders, if they were truly, uh, you know, fooled I guess, or if they truly believed that the Raiders wanted a quarterback and if they thought that quarterback was the same quarterback that they wanted, Daniel Jones, that would give the Giants motivation to jump over the Raiders at four and make a deal with the Jets at three. and that's That would have been the perfect spot for the Jets. Only move down a few spots, pick up an additional second-round pick. If you guys remember, the Giants had a second-round pick that they ultimately traded to get back into the first round to draft DeAndre Baker, the, the Georgia cornerback. So if the Jets could have uh, – and the Jets and the Raiders, I guess, could have fooled everyone to think – that the Raiders wanted a quarterback, the Jets could, in theory, have traded down a few spots to six or even to 15. I think they were willing to do that if the package was big enough. Uh, That would have benefited the Jets. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, the the third question, well, why would the Raiders take part in any of this? They would take part in this because they really wanted Quentin Williams. So Quentin Williams would have fallen to them. They would have gotten their number one guy with their pick at four. The Jets would have gotten what they wanted, which is a pick at six, whether that turned out to be Ed Oliver or somebody else, maybe Jonah Williams, whoever it was, they would have gotten one of those two guys plus additional draft capital. Uh, you know, that to me was the, the dream scenario for the Jets. Uh, you know, Quentin Williams is a terrific player. Uh, it's hard to complain about getting that guy, but if you could have traded down a few spots and picked up additional draft picks, uh, I I know that's what the Jets would have preferred. Otherwise, of course, they wouldn't have even entertained a deal while they were on the clock. So that that was one deal that didn't happen. The other deal, which I thought was was interesting, and, and you know I was surprised by it when I found out, uh, actually the day of the uh, start of the second round, is that the Jets talked to the Colts at 34. Remember, they don't have a second round pick, so they're at I think they were at 68, wherever you know, in the third round. They're in the third round. They don't have a second round pick. They were looking at jumping 30 plus spots or somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 spots. They talked to the Colts, who had the second pick in the second round. They, that's number 34 overall. Uh, they talked to the Seahawks who were picking 37th overall so i think that was fifth i guess that was the fifth pick of the second round they were willing to make that kind of jump which meant that they were willing to give up a lot of assets some in 2019 and some next year in 2020 because they wanted a cornerback my understanding uh, you know so is that they wanted one of those top cornerbacks uh you know, maybe not necessarily a specific guy uh, although i tend to believe that the guy that they wanted the guy that they were willing to sacrifice a lot of picks for was the the uh the temple cornerback rock yassin he's a guy who actually ultimately went to the colts who did not trade out of the 34 pick they stayed at 34 they took rock uh and so the Jets were fully aware that they need a cornerback help. So this is why this stuff is interesting to me. I would I would hope that's interesting to fans because you have to look at, well, what did the Jets value? What did they need? What do fans say? The fans say they need a center, they need a cornerback, they need an edge rusher. The Jets clearly thought that cornerback was a a massive position of need because they were willing to make a colossal move to get in position to get a cornerback, and that didn't happen. So that doesn't happen they made a, at least a second attempt to move up uh, about a dozen or so spots to 57 where the Eagles were picking so they could get a wide receiver. And I know that Jets fans are thinking, wow, why wide receiver? We've got a lot of wide receivers. Well, they love this kid, Mecole uh, Hardman from Georgia. He's got a track background. He ran a 4-3, 3-40. He's kind of a, you know, an explosive yet still like raw type of player but clearly a game-changer in their mind, and they wanted a game-changer for Sam Darnold in the worst way. And so they were willing to give up draft capital, maybe maybe both third-round picks. I don't know the exact offer to the Eagles, but they had basically had a deal in place, uh, the parameters in place with Philly to move up to get Hardman. But the Chiefs, who were about you know 10 or so picks uh, below, got wind that the, the Jets and other teams – liked Hardman, and they, because of what's happening with Tyree Kill, knew that they needed to get a, uh, you know, quote-unquote Tyree Kill replacement. So they jumped up about, you know, 10 or – I don't remember the exact number of spots, but about 10 spots to make a deal with the Rams at 56, right before the Eagles. So, the, you know, the Jets are sitting there thinking, okay, you know, we've got to deal with Philly – uh, we're going to get this, this kid from Georgia. The Chiefs jump over them to 56, the one spot right before, and they draft McCall Hardman uh, to be a guy who can replace Tyree Kill, assuming that Tyree Kill is not going to be available, uh, if not this year. I mean, maybe not this year, maybe never. Uh, and it, so to me, it's, it's fascinating that this Tyree Kill situation – You know, this audio that came to light, I think, on Thursday, the day of the draft, frankly. Because of that, because for a while it looked like Tyreek Hill was in the clear. But because of this audio that services on Thursday, now Tyreek Hill all of a sudden is probably not going to be a Kansas City Chief. So the Chiefs are, like, thinking to themselves, we need to get a replacement. And because of that, they trade up over the Eagles, uh, thinking that the Eagles are going to make a deal with the Jets. And they were right. And so the Jets don't get that guy. So that's the second – the second time in the second round and the third time in the draft in which the guy that the Jets wanted was gone and then you look at the deal that the Jets actually made in which they swapped with the Vikings in the in the third round right for the offensive lineman uh, at USC the only reason that they did that is because some of the guys that they liked were getting plucked off the you know they plucked off the board the Cowboys took Connor McGovern, who's an interior lineman, a center and a guard out of Penn State. And so, you know, people are looking at it now at this Jet draft thinking, well, they didn't address center. What happened? Well, they wanted a center. They wanted McGovern. That was the guy that they want. wanted. They thought he could last. He didn't last. He got taken. So the Jets didn't want to take any chances, so they gave up a seventh-round pick to flip-flop picks with the Vikings to take uh, Chuma and Dogwa, uh, the offensive lineman out of USC. But that was really because... The Jets you know, had thought, look, guys are the guys we like are coming off the board. Why don't we just give this team a seventh-round pick? And there's another wrinkle to that trade because people asked me, well, why would they do that? Why would they give up a seventh-round pick just to flip-flop? Well, that's because the Vikings, my, my understanding is that the Vikings and the Ravens had a deal. The Vikings were trading out of that pick. They were going to get two six-round picks from the Ravens, and the Jets said, hey, you know what, why don't we flip-flop? We'll give you a seventh. So the Vikings, being pretty shrewd, they went back to the Ravens and said, hey, look, we're probably just going to move down one spot with the Jets. We're going to pick up an extra pick. At that second spot where the Jets are right now, where we're going to be after we make the trade, is your offer for the two six-round picks still on the table? And the Ravens said, sure. So the Vikings actually got two six-round picks and a seventh-round pick just by moving down uh, that one. They got the additional seventh-round pick, I guess I should say, like a free seventh-round pick. So you know, these are the type of dynamics that happen during the course of the draft that are fascinating to me because you kind of get a window into what the Jets really valued and what they really wanted. And, you know, just by, you know, those four trades that I illustrated, you clearly know that they valued a cornerback. It didn't happen. They valued a playmaker for Sam Darnold. That didn't happen. They valued a center that they didn't get either. So, uh, you, know, you know, Mike McKagan, Adam Gates, they're fully aware of what their their needs are. Uh, and, they you know, they made they made attempts, but it's such a fast-flowing – Kind of a crazy dynamic, you know, when you're on the clock and in the draft, and they didn't get some of those guys. But anyway, I, I've spoken long enough. But that's some of the backstory on what happened with the Jets in the first three rounds.
2: So Manesh, um, in regards to the, the Jets striking out and not getting into the second round for one of the premier uh, cornerbacks in this draft, would are they still in the market? Maybe for perhaps a player in like Chris Harris or Trey Wayne's. Uh, are they still actively looking to fill that that void and improve the defensive backfield?
3: Yeah, but I don't know what the price tag for any of those guys uh, are going to be. I know that the Jets have roughly twenty-five million dollars in cap space left. Uh, you got to take out, you know, subtract. I want to say what nine million, nine or ten million dollars, uh, which is uh, allocated to the rookies. So you're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of you know seventeen, sixteen, seventeen million dollars of cap space uh, available. I know that they want to add players. I don't know if they want to add big money or potentially big money type of players because they, they do need a center. Cornerback uh, help you know, would be nice as well. So I can't tell you specifically if they are going after those guys. Maybe I'll get a better handle of that over the next several days. But they clearly are not done yet because they know that they've got some some clear areas of weakness. Uh, you know, my, my Just my opinion is that I, I – I don't quite understand why this organization does not value centers. Uh, It's so odd to me because they know the value of a great center. They had one for a decade. And then last year clearly did not work out after Nick Mangold was cut. And this year, Jonathan Harrison, who did some good things in the last month or so at center, uh, is not the long-term solution at that position. So, I don't quite understand, especially since you have a young quarterback, uh, you know, a veteran center, a smart center, or you know, a, like a a, a, set, a young center with incredible potential is so invaluable to a young quarterback. And for whatever reason, this general manager, perhaps this head coach as well, does not value the position as much as I think it needs it to be valued.
1: Now, Manish, uh, one question that uh, a lot of Jets fans are asking right now. Is in regards to the future of Darren Lee, who of course, as we know, played a little bit better last year. It seemed like he was trending in the right direction. Then he had the late season drug suspension, and uh, there, there, people seem divided on whether or not the team should keep, you know, keep him on the roster. So, what are your thoughts? What do you, what do you think the Jets will do? What do you think would be the prudent thing to do? And you know, and getting a guy like Blake Cashman, who could be a coverage inside linebacker in a three four scheme, it was that sort of the final nail in his coffin.
3: Well, look, I'll say this. For all the shortcomings that Darren Lee has, uh, he was good in coverage last year. You have to give him his just due. I I thought as a rookie he was in position, but he was terrible tracking the ball. And so you saw as a rookie him getting beat in coverage, even though he was in the right spot. It was a very odd dynamic. Uh, I guess he just – he was not good when the ball was in the air. He clearly got better at that uh, over the past couple years. I thought he was – Decent, good, you know, however you want to describe it, in coverage last year, and the way that Greg Williams likes to play defense, you know, he likes to shuffle a lot of guys in and out. I think there is a role for him. That being said, if they could have gotten a good offer during the draft, they would have taken it. Uh, they did not, so you don't want to give him away for free because he's making peanuts. He's making uh, 1.8 million dollars. It's not guaranteed because of uh, the suspension that he had. It's it's nothing. So he's he's not making much money. He's an athletic player. Uh, he's a pedigree player, and that matters to the general manager. So, it's, you know, I would be stunned unless there was some kind of attitude problem that surfaces over the, the next several months. I would be stunned if they cut Darren Lee. I don't think that quite makes much sense, just given who's on their roster. You, you mentioned uh, Blake Cashman, who uh, they view as a special teams player. Blake Cashman is an interesting guy because if you if you talk to people who have actually watched him play, they'll tell you he's a you know he's a He's a high motor guy. He's a guy who plays all out. Really fits the profile of a great special teams player. But he was making plays left and right in college last year. That being said, he's had three surgeries on his shoulders. Uh, I don't two on his left, one on his right, or vice versa. But on both shoulders, he's had he's been operated on uh, in 2016 and 2017. And you cannot discount that. So when I look at that pick, and I look at the needs that the team has, and I look at the dearth of uh draft capital that they had, I don't like the pick. I'm not saying I don't like the player. I think the player, you know, could be fine, but I, I don't you know, I have to question if I'm being honest and objective about this, I have to question the wisdom of taking a guy who's really gonna be a special teams player for you, uh, after you've already spent a ton of money uh over the past two years in free agency at linebacker. Avery Williamson two years ago, uh and C J Mosley this past free agency. You know, you're set at linebacker. Now, do you need coverage help at linebacker? Absolutely. And that's, I think, where Darren Lee, if he were to stay on this team, that's where he would be most effective. Uh, uh, but, again, you know, I, you know, Blake Cashman to me, you know, I'm, he's a you know high-energy guy, uh, smart player, athletic, explosive in some respects player. But, again, he's going to be primarily a special teamer for, for the Jets, and he has a h- injury history and he only had six picks and he took him in the fifth round. I, I don't quite understand that. I disagree with that fundamentally. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see how things shake out with Darren Lee. If there's an injury in training camp and they can find a, a deal, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they if they moved him. But the time to move him was before the draft or during the draft, and that hasn't happened.
2: All right, Manesh Well, we, we have one last question for you, and this one's just going to be a quick two-parter. And, um, our fans are curious, uh, outside of Quinn and Williams, what was your favorite pick that the Jets made in the draft, and is there a UDFA that, you know, one or two guys that maybe we should uh, put on our radar and give a, a look to?
3: I like the polite pick. I do. Uh, is it high risk, high reward? Yes, to a certain extent, because the risk is not... It, the risk is is something that can be corrected. And what I mean by that is, When the pick was made and in the days after the pick, I talked to talent evaluators around the league, including general managers. Uh, A couple of general managers told me, look, this guy, uh, we have questions about his life skills. And so you hear life skills, you obviously want to know more. What do you mean by life skills? Well, well, here's a guy who um, was late to meetings. He didn't particularly feel remorseful when he missed meetings. And I was told by multiple people, that the culture at the University of Florida, the f- football program specifically, not, not the university, but the culture at the, the football program is such that if you are a productive player, a good player, they don't necessarily hold you accountable. And I don't want to make an excuse for the guy. It sounds like an excuse. I don't know him, but I'm just telling you from what I heard that that was the culture of the football program. And he took advantage of that. He needs to grow up. He needs to behave like a professional this is not a criminal so you don't have to worry about that type of element you know he you know he grew up in a tough you know he had a tough upbringing uh, again I, I'm not saying that's an excuse just just the reality of his situation but uh, he does need to attack this opportunity like a job because it is a job and he needs to be a professional and part of being a professional is showing up on time is, is working hard all the time and is not missing mandatory stuff. He just can't do it. He's not in college anymore. Because if you look at the tape, and you talk to people, I should say, who have looked at the tape, he is a terrific talent. And if he did not have that forgettable off season, uh, the combine, his pro day, the hamstring injury, which I believe was caused by the fact that he was told uh, to bulk up or gain more weight, he was in, his, he was in the 250s, which is outrageous, because he was playing... Closer to 240. I think he was in the mid-250s during the combine. I think that contributed to the hamstring issues that he had. Uh, but, so he got some bad advice there. That, clearly, some bad advice. Uh, I don't think he handled, in fact, it's pretty obvious, he did not handle the intense scrutiny from teams during the interview process particularly well. Uh, I was told that, you know, not only the Packers, because the Packers are always linked to polite when you talk uh, about, uh, you know, bad interviews. Uh, I can tell you with greatest great certainty that the Jets also grilled him because you want to see how a guy like that responds how is he going to respond to criticism, how is he going to respond to you know some of the things that aren't particularly good on tape when there is so much else that is good on tape and he didn't handle it well and there's that, there's no excuse for that that being said, he's not in college anymore the combine's over he's a he's a professional he's a member of the New York Jets, and he's got a tremendous amount of talent. To provide edge pass rushing help for them, he he just he would have been he probably <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> based on what I was told, he would have been a mid first round pick, <coughs> you know somewhere in the mid first round, perhaps in the back half of the first round, but clearly a first round pick before <coughs> before the combine and all of the uh, the issues he had uh, with teams and interviews and uh, and the t- and the poor times that he had. So just from a talent perspective, the Jets got a <coughs> first round guy. At 68 overall, so if he can get his head on straight, you know, and maybe this was a wake-up call. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna have an embarrassing moment or embarrassing moments, it's probably better to get it over with in the run-up to your rookie season than actually after you become a professional. So I like to pick a lot. I think he can help them immediately as a situational pass rusher. Uh, we'll see what happens beyond that, <clears throat> but uh, clearly, to me. He was a, a risk worth taking when you look at you know what some of the you know what some of the red flags were entering this year. Again, he, he's not a criminal, he's not a bad guy in that sense. You know, when you enter that into the equation, if, you, if there's some kind of rogue element in that respect, then I would have shied away. But you know, this is just a kid who's you know 21, he's a little bit older than what Sam Darnold was when he was drafted. So uh, you know, hopefully for the Jets, this is a wake-up call. He gets his head on straight because physically I think he can make a difference. And in terms of undrafted free agents, I think they're going to bring in maybe 17 or so undrafted free agents. Uh, the guy that I'm intrigued about the most is this Wake Forest wide receiver, uh, Greg Dorch. He's, he's pretty small, 5'7", 173, slot guy, explosive returner at Wake. Uh, he's a guy who I think can make a legitimate push to be on the roster. I mean, Look, I haven't seen him play. Uh, we'll see how he responds when he becomes a pro. But I was talking to a scout on another team uh, this week, earlier this week, and he was fawning over him like he was Wes Welker. And clearly, look, he's not going to end up being Wes Welker. But uh, there are some people in the league who believe he should have been a day three pick, uh, you know, maybe a six rounder, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I thought that was a just savvy, uh, just a savvy decision by the team because Adam Gase has you know, made no secret how much he values slot receivers, slot, you know, slot receivers or tight ends who play in the slot. And he's a guy uh, who's, uh, you know, comp on, ironically on NFL.com is Jamison Crowder. Uh, so that's the type of player that he that he was in college. That's the type of player perhaps that he projects to in the NFL. Uh, he's a guy who could push Deontay Burnett. And I was a big fan of Deontay Burnett when they signed him mid-season or like at some point during the season last year. But he's a guy, you know, if I could see him beating out Deontay Burnett for a roster spot because he offers. Some uh, additional value as a returner. He averaged something like you know 21 or 22 yards per kickoff return in each of the last two years in college. And as you guys know, they're clearly looking for a returner. I think he did a little punt returning as well. So uh, he's a guy to keep an eye on. You know, it's interesting with these undrafted guys. You just you you don't know. It's, you know. A lot of these guys look so good and perform so well in college. But then, for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't translate in the summer. So it's going to be, an, you know, extremely important off-season, spring and summer, for this kid. But he's a guy. You know, if you're asking me, uh, who should Jets fans keep an eye on? Who, you know, realistically or not realistically, but uh, potentially, has a, you know, and uh, a has a a chance to to creep up and maybe make the roster. Uh, I think this kid might be it.
1: All right, that is Manish Mehta from the Manish Mayda from the New York Daily News. Manish, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate all of your insight as always. Uh, have a great night, Manish.
3: Thanks, guys. I appreciate you, Manish. Thanks so much.
1: All right, so that was Manish Mayda of the New York Daily News. Uh, if you missed the first few minutes, Manish came on and basically addressed the the rumors, the stories that there was a a shakeup on the horizon in the Jets front office at Florham Park and that Mike McGagnon was possibly on his way out that rumor surfaced during the draft and and was sort of corroborated by a couple of other beat writers and it sounds as if it this may be a situation where a general manager and a head coach disagreed on some personnel issues which is not uncommon and it got blown out of proportion a little bit and and even you know listen even if even if Mike McGagnon is going to be gone whenever he's going to be gone I the thought of any team firing a GM and we discussed it firing a GM days after letting him make the third overall pick in the draft and weeks after allowing him to spend over a hundred million dollars in guaranteed money. I mean, the jets have done some boneheaded things in the past that got them laughed at throughout the league. Um, you know, even if you look at the Belichick thing with him walking away and signing a napkin, you know, at least that was out of their control. Um, you know, when you make the conscious decision to say, we are now going to fire this person who we allowed to attempt to rebuild our organization the other day. That would be sort of the height of, I mean, talk about hysteria. Geez, You know, just, you finally get the quarterback, you get some good pieces in place. You got Le'Veon Bell, you got a you got Chris Herndon, you got Robbie Anderson, a good deep threat. You know, you finally have some, some things going your way, Jamal Adams, you get Quinn and Williams and then you fire the GM and everything is up in the air. So not surprising to hear that, uh, that, you know, the rumors were just that, that they were rumors. And, um, but w- we're going to go, Alex, now we're going to talk about, uh, you know, Manish left us there with with his thoughts on on Greg Dorch, the Wake Forest wide receiver, undrafted free agent, a guy that we've talked about um, on and off the air. Uh, really just, just an elusive guy, you know, a player you look at and think, you know, do you want a 5'7 guy on your roster? Is he going to be able to hold up to the, you know, the, the pounding he's going to take in the NFL – but you've had a chance to watch a little bit more of him. So what what, what else have you uh, – what are your takeaways now with Greg Dorch having seen a bit more of him? Yeah,
2: I, I came away very impressed uh, after watching, you know, just a handful of his film. Uh, Manish, you know, hit every nail right on the head. Uh, this guy brings a lot to the table, you know, as far as special teams and return game. Uh, he, he's got great speed, and, you know, he can really, really uh, just – take a simple, you know, uh, slant route or, you know, a screen play or something like, you know, uh, just a plan, diverse, just get the ball in his hands and let the guy just create. And he's great in space. So you just got to, you know, get excited when you hear things like that. And, you know, hearing comps to, you know, profound players already in in the NFL, like Welker and Crowder, uh, it is a little odd that, you know, he he fell, um, you know, into the UDFA scenario and I'm just glad that, you know, we're gonna give this guy a look. You know, right now as this roster, you know, rounds itself out, um, there's gonna be a lot of competition in all different positions and wide receiver is definitely a big one. And, you know, the more bodies that we could get, the more targets for Sam Darnold, it's really, really gonna be beneficial for our offense.
1: Yeah, I think something that, that a lot of folks are going to be keeping an eye on as well as the as far as the undrafted guys go is the, the O linemen, especially the tackles you got uh NC State's Tyler Jones is one guy and Central Florida's Wyatt Miller both of those guys to me Tyler Jones from what I saw of him looks like a good player I think I think NFL.com had him as a fifth or sixth round pick obviously he ended up going undrafted um did a nice job at NC State I was only able to watch a couple games uh got got himself caught off balance a couple times at speed rushers who were able to kind of put a move on him and got him going in one direction were able to you know, cut back, you know, break to the outside. Once he started going outside, cut back inside and caught him off balance, got to the quarterback without much of an issue. But again, these these are undrafted guys who, you know, they're going to show some things on on film or, you know, whether you're watching a game, um, you know, as we said before, it doesn't do you a whole lot of good to, to sit down and watch some highlights because you can make a, a cut-up highlight film of, you know, uh, basically anybody. Uh, you know, anybody at the collegiate level who gets on the field regularly, is going to do a few things well, and you're going to be able to put that together. So uh, being able to sit down and watch a few full games, um, Tyler Jones strikes me as a guy who is is somebody, you know, practice squad candidate probably. But Wyatt Miller, I actually like Wyatt Miller a little bit more. He was more of a, a play through the whistle, uh, really just hard-nosed lunch pail type guy. So a uh, Central Florida prospect. And, and that's what fans are going to be looking at. You know, we talked the other day about about uh, Toa Lobindan at of USC. I uh, haven't had a chance to watch much of him yet. I literally watched probably a quarter of USC game watching him. So I haven't really seen enough of him yet to comment, but as is always the case, man, you know, the undrafted free agents, they're great stories. Everybody likes the, everybody likes the underdog. You always, you know, it's great when a couple of those guys make your roster and contribute. You know, we we've seen what Robbie Anderson has been able to do. Doug Middleton's a guy who, you know, has managed to stick for a couple of years now, but can't manage to stay healthy. Um, Anthony Wint was a guy last year who I think if, uh, had Todd Bowles not been removed, Anthony Wint would have a really good chance to to stick again. The another an undrafted linebacker there, but you got to you got to hit on some of these guys, especially you know on a team that's in, in, in such dire need of depth. So one or two of these guys stepping up would be a, a pleasant surprise. And we'll you know once once camp gets here and we start checking these guys out and you know. Obviously, there's a huge difference from camp to the real games, and there was no better example of that than last year with Nathan Shepard, who in the opening days of camp looked unblockable, and then uh, and then he was everything but unblockable. So uh, that I'll tell you what, there's a guy who worries me. We haven't really talked about him uh, because there's not really been a reason to, but just bringing up his name, is, is Nathan Shepard going to be the next sort of blown early mid-round pick that Mike McKagan, has, is he going to be the next uh, Darius Stewart or Chad Hanson? Because for an older guy, I know he was coming from a small program and you, he was going to need some time to come along, but I didn't see a lot out of him that made me think he was going to be, that he was going to be a, an impact player. What, what, do you th- what do you think the, the chances are of Nathan Shepard now with a, a different head coach with no loyalties to him, of him sticking with this team?
2: You know, it's very interesting because uh, they've certainly made a lot of moves. Uh, You know, one in particular that jumps out to me is Henry Anderson um, getting a contract to come back, and he got a few years. Uh, We brought back McClendon, uh, which we talked about last night. Uh, And then they go ahead and they they draft Quentin Williams. And you're looking at this roster and you're saying, well, we did get Nate Shepard last year in the third, and Polaronzo Fadakasi, I believe, was somewhere in that fifth or sixth round area. So they did have some, some project guys that they wanted to work with. And when you're running a three, four defense, where exactly are these guys going to fit? Um, you know, I know that they'll be mixing up packages, but it does seem like he's a little buried right now. Um, you know, the good fortunate thing is, is that there's nothing wrong with having depth at, at in any position whatsoever. And, you know, a little bit was showing that could he make that jump because I believe he was a division two college player you know, how quickly can he translate, you know, to the speed and the professionalism that, you know, these guys have at the NFL level. Um, one of the hardest jobs is in the trenches. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, you won't fill up the stat sheets, but you'll, you'll have a good game by getting some pressures and, and, you know, diverting running backs from going into, you know, the design lane and, and then forcing them to try to bounce it out outside where, you know, they can get, you know, tackled for a loss these things don't come up on the stat sheet. So, you know, at this point it, it is something that, you know, we should probably look into throughout the summer and, and see kind of where he gets uh, slotted as they go through training camp. Will he be working with the twos or the threes? You know, will he start, you know, fading back, you know, as we've seen other mid round selections kind of get the back seat. So yeah, definitely Nate Shepard is, is an interesting you know, player on this roster that seems to be behind a lot of big names right now. And it's kind of remains to be seen, you know, if he's going to be able to take that step this year and say, Hey, Greg Williams, like I'm ready to go and just give me an opportunity. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll double my efforts and, you know, try to improve what, from what I did last year.
1: Yeah. And I think what worried me a little bit about him and I don't know if it was a, a rookie wall or what. I mean, he never, he never looked great, obviously. But but you know there were a few games I tried to keep a, a close eye on him, and he he did have a, a stretch in the middle of the season where he looked like he was getting better. He was getting some movement, he was getting some push, you know, a pressure here and there, and then all of a sudden he just saw his snaps cut to sort of 10 11 snaps a game. So obviously he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna see a lot of growth and improvement, um, only being on the field every every fifth or sixth snap. So how much of that is is due to you know how much of his regression is due to the the dramatic cut in playing time or was the dramatic cut in playing time just because he wasn't showing enough improvement? Because let's face it. I mean, how many times was his name called during the season? He was, he was basically for the most part. um, He was invisible out there. Like I said, he had a couple moments where I thought he was sort of on the verge of of making a couple of plays and it just, it just material. So he could be that, that next name, on that list of, of mid mid round picks that Mike McKagan missed on. So obviously hoping that's not the case. And, you know, we've talked about the mid rounders this year. There's some, uh, there's some potential there, but you know, at this, at this point, it's, it's a hundred percent speculation. We can, we can look at scouting reports. We can thank goodness, go to YouTube and find some games and watch actual full games. Um, and thank God for the condensed ones too. When people, when people knock a full game down to an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes and, you can watch a prospect play a full game in that that little time. Um, that that really makes it a lot easier on us to be able to take a, take a look at these guys. And, you know, some of them are really impressive. You know, we talked yesterday about Blake Cashman. You know, came away super impressed with him after watching a couple of his games. So, looking forward to watching more of the, the, the rookie, the undrafted free agents, as well as the draft picks in the coming weeks. But that'll wrap things up for us tonight on Jet Nation Radio. We want to thank, once again, our guest, Manish Mehta. And give a, give Alex a follow on Twitter. Alex, you want to give out your Twitter handle?
2: Yep. Uh, my Twitter handle is at NYJetsLife24. That's at NYJetsLife24. Thanks again for coming by, Jet Nation. Have a good night.
1: And you can get me, Glenn Naughton, at AceFan23. That's A-C-E-Fan23. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again on Tuesday night. Take care, Jets fans.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!